Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. And uh, happy Father's Day to all of our dads in the building. Can we give a little love to our dads? And those of us checking it out online, thank you for the sacrifice and the love that you have given over the years for your family. And if you haven't already done so, take a few minutes today and give your dad a little love. Uh, I'm sure he will, I can speak on behalf of him, he would say, thank you, I really needed that. Um, We all could use it. We we, uh, love the love and we love the encouragement. Uh, But today we continue a series that we started last week entitled Demystify the Kingdom. This idea of demystify, as you already know, is just to make something clearer or easier to understand. And we're taking that idea and focusing it on the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This was an idea that was shot throughout all of the teaching and preaching of Jesus from the very beginning to the very end of his ministry. And it's one of those things that sometimes gets a little vague, a little hard to grasp, like what exactly is it and when is it and how is it? And we're going to just take some time to talk about that. Started that last week. If you missed that one, I encourage you to check it out. But this idea of asking the question, what did Jesus mean some 85 different times throughout the Gospels where he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Now, I know sometimes there's a little confusion about, well, the kingdom of heaven, isn't that just heaven? Like, the kingdom of heaven is what's waiting for us if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, after life. Well, Here's what's interesting. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus right there makes a distinction between the kingdom of God and heaven itself. That, that, that heaven certainly is a part of the kingdom of God. It that is encompassed, the kingdom of God, but it isn't just heaven. It goes beyond that. It goes to this earth, but not always. This is why Jesus is saying, I want you to pray that God's will, that his kingdom would come to earth. And when we pray, God, may your will be done instead of my will. So instead of Will's will, God's will, that's when the kingdom comes. In other words, uh, let me break it down even more simply. I love this definition given by Dallas Willard, the theologian, scholar. I think it was in his book, um, The Divine Conspiracy, where he says, here is what the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is. is It's where what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. So wherever God's will is being done, his kingdom is present there. Where his will is not being done, it is not present there. Essentially, this is what Jesus taught. So, yes, heaven is part of God's kingdom, but it isn't exclusively there. And there are times where heaven spills over, the kingdom of heaven spills over here, but not fully or completely yet. So, this kingdom, we talked about last week, so how do we get started? Like, if you want to be a citizen, you want to be a part of the kingdom, you want to participate in that kingdom, you want to help spread the kingdom, how do you do that? Where does it begin? Well, it begins by a reorientation of our lives. It is taking a whole new and fresh approach to life 
And what I mean by that, and what we're going to use as a springboard, the very first time that we have recorded that Jesus is preaching publicly, his first time he's proclaiming anything, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, and let's say the highlighted words together. Here's the first thing he preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In other words, the kingdom of heaven has always existed. It's not like it just materialized, but now there is this new access, accessibility, access point, and the access point, Jesus says, is me. Now you can access the kingdom, but it begins with this fairly unpopular word, repent, right? That's gotten a bad rap. Repent just simply means an about face, a 180 degree turn. It means I want you to turn away from self-centered, self-in-control living. This is the reorientation process. And learn how to begin to live your life as Christ-centered, Christ-in-control living. Now, this is not something you could just snap your fingers, flip a switch, and it's going to happen. It is something that we learn. This is the discipleship process. This is the citizenship process. And this is what it meant when Jesus taught to be my disciple, to be my follower, to be my apprentice, to be a believer, to be a Christian, what we would call today. And simultaneously, this is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. It is learning how to put Christ at the center. When I make decisions, I put him first. Like, what would you want done, Jesus? I want to access your wisdom and your word for how I lead and guide my life. That is at the core of that shift. Now, some have asked the question, maybe you've asked this before too, why doesn't, when we become Christians, God just go, come on up to heaven right now? Like, you're good. Like, just come on up. You don't need, there's nothing else you need to do on earth. Just come on up here with me. Why doesn't he do that? Why didn't he just short circuit the whole thing and just bring us on up? And here's the answer to that. Because from the beginning, and we're going to look at all the way to the very beginning of the Bible. From the beginning, God has created all of us to contribute to manage or rule within his kingdom. In other words, he's got stuff for you and I to do. He's got things for us to get done. Now we go all the way back to Genesis, first book of the Bible, first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God had just, just to kind of catch you up with context, he had just created everything. And the crowning jewel in creation was male and female, he created them. The next verse Guess what it says? God blessed them. Who's them? The male and the female. And said to them, let's say it together, rule over. Some translations say, have dominion over every living creature. Now, as you see by the ellipses, there's more in the verse, but I boiled it to distill it down for our time today. He's basically saying, I'm putting you in charge of this world. I'm putting you in charge of every living creature, including each other. Love your neighbor as yourself, as he will later command us. I want you to be in charge. You are steward over. There is a stewardship with your life. There is a managing that I want to do in your life. And 
in, 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 in essence, if you think about it, this is kind of a, a funny way to think about it, but I think it's very true that in a sense that, that God has given us a little kingdom within his big kingdom. And here's what I mean by that. He has given you and I a little sphere in which we have say-so over. We get to pick how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources, our intellect, how we manage or take care of this body. This is a gift. How do we take care of it? Do we just, you know, are we self-destructive or are we taking care of ourselves? Are we trying to work towards something that honors the one who gave the gift? Now, this little kingdom within the larger kingdom of God arguably might be the place in us as human beings that we are most like God that it is most reflective of the Imago Dei or the made in the image of God doctrine and theology. That God has made us like him and in doing so, he has given us a range of our effective will. That you create a life with your words and your actions and so do I. We teach people how to treat us. We teach people how to respond to us. We, teach, we, we interact with the world with these things within this little sphere, but it is a gift from God. And so why would he entrust us with such an important thing? Here's why. Because learning to rule is how people are developed. Learning to rule is how people are developed. Now, anybody here, a parent, you're trying to raise kids right now, uh, it's Father's Day, so don't be lying in church, dads, okay? Uh, you're raising kids, you're raising grandkids, you're helping, you're maybe an aunt and uncle, and you're kind of part of that process. That's wonderful. Many of us are. Or maybe you're managing people at work or as a volunteer. If you've ever had to manage another person or you have ever tried to raise another human being, you're in touch with this idea that if you're trying to teach something to another person, as soon as you possibly can do it, as soon as it is safe to do so, you need to let them do it. You need to begin to let them try it on for size. Let them road test it. Let them get used to putting it in to practice. Why? Because we learn by doing. We learn by doing. And you see, God uses our ruling choices to both reveal, he's doing two things. He's revealing and developing things like integrity and strength and competence in us within his kingdom. Now think about it like this, because this is about to happen to me again. Some of us parents here, uh, and I know some of you are not quite there yet, but you're gonna, there's going to be a day, and this is going to sound crazy until the day comes. You're going to take the car keys to your car out of your pocket, and you're going to hand it to your teenage son or daughter like a crazy person, <laughs> and you're going to trust them to get in your car and pull away from your house and drive on the roads of this town, all right? Like, what was I thinking? This is a horrible idea. Anyway, but we do, when we do that, we're giving them a little sphere of impact to rule, to have dominion, to make choices, to make an influence. They're, they're, they can make good choices, they can make bad choices, but in doing so, it will both reveal and it will develop in them things like integrity, strength, and competency. 
Things like integrity. You come back and say, hey, how fast were you going coming home from school today? Because my Life360 app says you were doing like 80 <laughs> on the way home. And this is your opportunity to sharpen integrity, right? Be honest. This is your opportunity to be honest with me. And maybe them learning to take a little bit of responsibility and do it, it it's going to grow, it's going to stretch them, it's going to make them a little stronger. It's going to make them be able to handle life a little bit better. And then finally, it gives them a competency uh, to be able to do things that they otherwise couldn't do. And if somebody hadn't trusted some things to you, you wouldn't be able to do what you do today. Somebody trusted that. They gave you a little kingdom of your own to try some things out, and you, you figured it out. And you grew in strength and integrity and competency. The reason we do this is because this is how God does it. This is how he began his kingdom. This is how he continues to grow his kingdom. Now, Jesus teaches that this doesn't happen just by happenstance, but this happens in a interactive, cooperative, personal relationship with him as our constant companion in this life. You are not left alone. He is always with you. He is right there with you that you can speak to him, pray to him, ask for his help, ask for his wisdom at any time. And he has given us access, especially in our country. We're free to read this book. We can read his word, his wisdom for our life. But he trusts this to us, not just so that we can grow in these things, but also it helps to prepare us for eternity. Our rule... Our dominion, if you will, our serving within the kingdom helps impact our eternity. It helps to prepare us for eternity. And I want to help explain what that means over the next couple of minutes together. I want to turn your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 25. <clears throat> In this one chapter, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is going to tell three parables. We don't have time to look at all of them today. He's going to tell three parables, and all three of the parables are parables to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven, okay? And here's how he begins. This is how I know that this is what he's, his intent was. It's because verse 1, he says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. At what time, Jesus? What are you talking about? He's talking about at the end of your life. When this life is over, you need to be prepared because there is an afterlife. There is another thing that's coming that is just as real, if not more real than this place because it lasts way longer than this place. You need to be prepared for it. So Jesus, we're going to skip down to verse 14. <clears throat> he's going to tell another parable here. And in this parable, he says, again, it, now what does it refer to? It refers to the kingdom of heaven. It will be like so this is, again, he's teaching us, and every time Jesus uses a parable to teach us something about God and ourself, we need to pay close attention. He's showing us something that's not intuitive. Where he's showing us something that we weren't just born with this knowledge, that we have to learn this. This is something we can acquire, that we can understand, and we can adjust our life according to this truth, and it will bless us, and it will prepare us better for the future. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, this word entrusted literally means he expected them to manage his wealth the way he would. That is literally what this word means. I'm entrusting this to you that you will manage it the way I would have managed it. 
Entrustment doesn't mean I'm giving this to you to do whatever the heck you want to do with it. <laughs> no, that the servants would do what the, what the master would do. And, and anybody who's listening to the story would go, oh, what an incredible opportunity. They didn't have to work for it. They were just given these gifts. Like, this is incredible. It's amazing. He goes on to say, to one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his, let's say it together, to his ability. His ability to do what? His ability to invest and use the gift that he's been given the way the master would have. All right? So let me bring a little clarity to the story so far. Jesus' listeners would know this. You might not. This idea of a bag of gold in its original um, Greek uh, context sometimes is translated a talent, a talent of gold. A talent is just a weight of measurement, a measurement of weight, rather. It is a, the, the weight is 75 pounds. So a bag of gold or a talent of gold would have been a 75-pound bag of gold. Now, just to put that in context, that would have taken an average laborer of Jesus' day 20 years to earn one talent or 75 pounds of gold. Imagine for just a moment your current job, your current income, working for 20 years. We're talking about no small sum of money, right? So he gives this 20 years worth of wage, one bag to one guy, two bags to another, and five bags to the final person, right? So here he is doling this out. Now, um, the question that maybe you're asking, you should be asking, because every time Jesus tells a parable, we're in that story somewhere. There is a lesson for us because we're either missing it or we're seeing it. We're one of those people in the story. So you, I hope you're asking, okay, wait, wh which one am I? Am I the person with the one bag, the two, or the five? Can I just tell you, I already know which one you are, all right? I know which one I am, and I know which one you are. With, with great accuracy, I could tell you right now, maybe not everybody, but most of you, even if you're watching online right now, you are the servant with the two bags. And here's why I say that. Because I bet in your life, if you were to think about it right now, you know somebody on your left, somebody... You either know them or you know of them, somebody in this world that has less than you, all right? And you know somebody on your right that has more than you, right? And depending on who you're looking at, social media, right? In any given time, if you're looking at the one who has less, you're either relieved or you're thinking, whoa, I'm a little better than them. Like, they, 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 they don't know what I know. They can't do what I do. They don't have my education. They don't have the things I do. I have stuff. I can do things that they cannot do. And that sometimes gives us pride, pridefulness. And there are other times where we're looking at other people and we say, wow, I wish I had what they had. I wish I could do what they do. I wish I, ha I, w I had access to all that they have access to. So we're either feeling prideful or we're feeling jealous, depending on where we're looking. But what if, and this is part of Jesus' challenge with this parable, what if we were beginning to, a part of our reorientation process as citizens of the heaven, we began to look at our life, that everything that we have is a gift. Our intellect, our resources, our opportunities, our education, our money, our future, our kids, our marriage, 
everything, everything that you have, your body, it is a gift, not just yours, but every single person who lives. All of their things are a gift. And they were given by a master. And how were they given? They were given according to their ability. Their ability to do what? Their ability to invest those things as the master would have invested them. Now, it doesn't mean that they are investing them the way the master would invest them, but it means that that was the intent behind the gift. And Jesus continues. He says, and then he, he being the master, he went away. He went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went out at once. He didn't waste any time. He got after it, went out and put the, his money to work and gained five more bags, five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So these two guys went out and did the exact same thing. In other words, they understood this entrustment came with responsibility. You've got to be responsible for what you've been given. They just understood that. That's the kind of relationship that you have with a master who gives you a gift. And then we find out what happened with the guy with one. But the man who had received the one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money after a long time. Now, now why would he do that? The mentality of this guy, probably like a lot of people, is to say, well, Compared to these people, I got almost nothing. What difference does it make if I invest it or whatever I do with it? Like, it's nothing compared to what they have. So why should I even try? I'm just going to give up. I'm not even going to give it. I'm not even going to give it a try. I'm just going to bury it. So after a long time, you could even translate that after a lifetime, because this is what Jesus is talking about at the end of this life, know that this is coming. After a lifetime, the master of those servants returns and, let's say it together, and settled accounts with them. In other words, there is accountability for the things we've been blessed with, our opportunities. Jesus is being really clear about this. And he says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought them, brought another five. Master, he said, you, let's say it together, you entrusted me with these five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Now notice this, the, 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 the difference between the five and the two. Let, let's look at this. He says, and he's still talking to the guy with the five. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. In other words, you've been responsible with this little kingdom I gave you. Within my big kingdom, you've been responsible. I will put you in charge of many things. You, you, you are faithful with the little. I'm going to bless you with much. This is, this is how it works. He says, come and share in your master's happiness. And remember, who's the master? It's God. He's going, this makes God happy. This makes him joyful when you're good stewards with what you have been given and you don't act like it's yours. You, you, you remember it's on loan, and this is something I want to use for God's glory. I want to do it to bring joy to him, because when it does, it brings joy to me too, to know I'm in sync with my father. He says, come and share in your, father, in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Notice the exact same result, whether they had five or two. Come and share in your master's happiness once again. Made God happy. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man and harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, I knew that you were the kind of guy who made the most of every opportunity. You didn't waste an opportunity ever. He says, "Um, so I was afraid. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of losing the bag, right? I'm afraid, and I, I, didn't, I was afraid it wouldn't really make any difference if I did anything with it. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now let's see what the master's response was. His master replied, you wicked, worthless, let's say the last one together, lazy servant. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jeez, are you sure this master is God? Because... He seems really upset. The master, in a sense, is saying, listen, you weren't as much scared or afraid of me as you were lazy, that you wouldn't do anything with it. You see, it wasn't that the servant with one went out and did something bad. He just didn't do anything at all, which to the master was bad. Don't just bury the, the, the gift. So you knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I have not scattered. See, you knew that I made the most of every opportunity. And he goes on to say, well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And he says this, this is maybe one of the more shocking moments of the whole parable. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. Whoa, 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 pump the brakes, Jesus. Like, that seems really unfair. Are you sure about that? And Jesus is saying, the master in the story is simply doing what any good leader would do. You bless the servant who's been faithful with more opportunity, the one who's been responsible with more responsibility because they've shown that they can handle it. Jesus is showing us something about this dynamic between us and God. And he goes on to say, says, for those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That Jesus is showing us here all the gifts that God gave this servant, even the gift of salvation. Nope, don't need it, I'll bury it. I can even tell you back, Lord, the plan of salvation. I can even share with you scripture. I can even do, I I have served you. I've done all these things, but I really never came to know you. Jesus even says, many will say, Lord, Lord, in that day, and he will say, away from me, because you never knew me. I never knew you. There was never a relationship. You never invested the gift. You never started the relationship. You never were a citizen, This is where it is so important. So here's the big question I think we ought to ask every time we read a parable of Jesus. What was the point, the big point of Jesus' parable, this particular one? 
here's the big point that Jesus was teaching us about the kingdom of God. God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. Once again, remember, the result was no difference between the guy with the two and the one with the five. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little kingdom, with this little responsibility. I will bless you with much. I handed you the keys. You didn't wreck the car. That's good. I'm going to give you a new car. I'm going to give you, I'm going to bless you. This is the way it works. You show that you can handle it. I'm going to bless you with more. I want, to, I want this relationship. It is a progressive relationship where we move closer to the Father. We see His glory and His power to a greater degree when we trust Him and we step out with faith and we are faithful to His faithfulness to us. And we are responsible of, with the responsibility He has bestowed on us. And He will bless us in the process and what's beautiful is that Jesus talks about this happens not only in this life, on this earth, but it has its greatest fulfillment in the world to come in eternity with God and the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to look at this more next week, but there is beautiful pictures of how the Lord says, you will come and you will reign with me forever. I'm getting you ready for great things good things, but you have to go through the training process. You have to trust me with what I know it feels insurmountable. I know it feels in just over your head, crazy hard, but I will use these things in this life to get you ready for the best stuff that will last forever and ever, a treasure that will never be taken away from you, ever. He says, this kingdom is so much better than you can imagine, but you need to prepare for it. And don't look at any of the things that God has given you as a waste, but look at it as an entrustment. And he has said, I've given it to you because I have also given you an ability to use it the way I would use it. And you bring glory to me when you use it that way. But here's the question I, wanna, I want you to ask as we close out our service today. What are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Are you willing to, to make the big, bold, scary prayer of like, God, you see all that we have. How would you have us use it? How do you want us to leverage this for your kingdom? If you were sitting right here in this seat and you were in this place that I am in, your job, your, 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 your home, your, your situation, place of life, how would you do this, Jesus? That is one of the most powerful questions you could ask as a disciple of Jesus. It yields some of the greatest answers to what he would want next. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.